We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The workplace can sometimes be a hostile place with that hostility directed at colleagues because of their race, religion, or gender. An organization called Hatebreakers is conducting a campaign to make the workplace more welcoming and inclusive. There will be a panel discussion on dealing with hate and discrimination at work titled Woke at Work tonight at 7 at the Missouri History Museum. Joining me in studio are Susan Balk, the founder of Hatebreakers. Holly Edgel is St. Louis Public Radio race, identity, and culture editor. Both will be on that panel this evening. Thanks, both of you, for being here. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Uh, let's get right to it. Hate is a is a very big word to be using in connection with the workplace. Is it too strong a word? Yeah. I don't think so. I think, you know, when we first started Hate Breakers about 10 years ago, people said, why do you have to use that word in the name of your organization? And now I think, I, I mean, we look at it all the way from bullying to genocide mm-hmm. and we, it, as kind of a sliding scale. And I think there are acts of hate or acts of bias that that can leave trauma. And people like Holly are working to help us not only demystify what, whether you call it hate or bias, or there are a million other words for it, some of them euphemisms, but Holly is really doing work to demystify it, and not only that, but to move things forward for organizations and for yeah. customers. And... Um, we're thrilled that she's going to be part of the evening. Well, Holly, exactly what are you doing? There's, there's no hate in this workplace, I hope, because we both share it. <laughs> um, well, I come at this from a, as a journalist and a, an observer and someone who's always been interested in the way that we share space in our society and work and uh, whether it's in the workplace or you have a consumer-facing business where you're working with the public, there's so many interactions that happen all the time that could go better and sometimes explode, as we've seen. Um, a lot of times we don't see the flashpoints within the workplace because they may they may happen within an organization um, and be dealt with within the organization. We, we do hear about these flashpoints that happen in public, in retail or dining environments. So for me, I, I'm really concerned that we uh, cover these stories in a way that it's not just, oh, this happened, but let's track the whole picture. What's happening? What are the trends? And then what are the solutions that we can find experts in our community to to share with people for? And, and Hate Breakers, they found um, about about the stuff that I was doing because of the show. <laughs> the last time we talked about bias training. Mm-hmm. So that's a great way to, to get the community talking. What kind of, uh, Susan, what kind of flashpoints are we talking about? Are we talking about incidents such as Starbucks uh, where the two gentlemen uh, were discriminated against there as they waited for a friend in, in, the, uh, in the coffee shop, if you will? Are we talking about someone who goes postal and goes in and blows away colleagues or both? I think we want to get smarter about everything. Hmm. And the two people we're giving Hatebreaker Hero Awards tonight are people who 
not or, or whatever the opposite of corporate is. Mm-hmm. One of them is a rural Missouri tattoo artist who not only refuses to do swastikas or bullets or upside down crosses, mm-hmm. but volunteers to remove such things for free. And to us, that interruption of the predictable hate breeds hate cycle gives the person to whom this hero, um, he gives him a fresh start. He's no longer defined by these, by these emblems of hate. The other person is a, a local man named Kellen Hill. He's a sales associate for Acura. And he and his family were at a large supermarket. Um, I'm going to say four months ago, mm-hmm. and place they'd gone many, many times to cash money orders or to buy money orders. But and they're a family that moved here from Florida and did not yet have their local ID, so they went and. The man, the manager of this place they'd gone to many times said, no, we can't cash your money order because of your ID. So they went to the bank and they got cash. And they came back with the cash and he wouldn't take that either. And luckily somebody did a video of that entire situation. People in the um, fellow, fellow customers came to the defense of these people said that it that that it was wrong. What I am so moved by is the way this this young man, Kellen Hill, handled himself. He was, as they say, the boss in the situation. He stayed steady and he even said to this manager, Look, man, I, I want to save your job, but this is you know, the, you're being racist. Mm-hmm. So what we want to get smarter about hand, how to handle ourselves when we feel discriminated against, but also if we have businesses, what do we do? Do we just do a sort of public relations band aid and fire the person, or are and, and and then maybe give some money to the charity of the person who was wronged, and and then go about our business? Well, Holly has really analyzed what works and what doesn't work and is actually measuring the effect of some of these actions. And I think both spotlighting these two young men and listening to what Holly and the others on the panel are going to say, we're not going to demonize these people who, who don't know what the right thing to do is, but we're going to help, help them. I want to ask you what you're finding, Holly, but I want to go back to this word hate for a moment because are we equating the hate with discrimination? I, I think it's a feature. It can be a feature of discrimination. I think that, um, you know, hate covers a lot of ground. Like you said, it's a big word. But I think at the heart of uh, discrimination, um, prejudice, bias, is a, is, a, is a piece of that, is a sort of an, an, an unknowing, and oftentimes we hate or push away the things we don't understand, um, or there's a latent feeling within us that we don't even really know we have until faced with a situation. So I do think that, um, you know, and really, 
we've talked about this before too, Don. You know, we talk a lot about these things, but to really put a word to it that has some power and some something that gets people's attention, I think, I think is is not inaccurate by any means. All right, let's go back now to some sure. of the things that you're finding that uh, Susan is. Uh, uh, has uh, mentioned. Well, I don't know how much an- analytics I've done. I'm, I'm, you give me a lot of credit, Susan, <laughs> but I am tracking um, some of these incidents that have happened publicly, both in our region and nationally. I keep track of um, incidents where police were called, where security was called, where the company made some kind of apology or formal um action, either firing or reassigning someone. But but to me, I'm also really interested in what companies are doing proactively. And um, earlier this year, we did a story about um, the uh, Check Your Blind Spots mobile that was parked outside of Express Scripts. Um, and Express Scripts is one of the one of the companies that has signed on to a nationwide um, CEO-led initiative to really tackle these issues in the workplace. And um, they had their employees go into this mobile and as well as members of the public to see, to take part in exercises that sort of, oh, wow, yeah, I do have a blind spot there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a bias there. And so that becomes a sol- solution. So I'm really interested in covering those types of stories as well. Could, could you give me an example of, of, of a blind spot, what's, what you may have found or what, uh, what came out of this, uh, this exercise? Sure. Well, I, I think um, a lot of these incidents that we've seen in the public play out, for example, the most recent one um, where the, the two neighbors were confronting each other in, in, a, in an apartment building and a white woman was, was demanding of her black neighbor um, that sh- he show her proof that he lived there. Um, in her mind, it's she's not acting out of discrimination. It's, it's, so that's, a, to me, a blind spot. She um, may not have thought about the way that she was acting in that sense, but I feel like it, it comes from that place, mm-hmm. that blind spot. Uh, we might also have blind spots around um, gender pronouns. We may have blind spots about culture, about people who speak a different language. Um, and I think that all of us have these. Now, they all, don't all rise to the level of hate or or fall to the level of hate, if you will. But but we all have things within us that we've grown up with that we feel is, are maybe acceptable. Um, and, and just checking those biases is really important. Susan, tell me a little bit more about this national commitment that Holly mentioned and, and how it works. Who are you reaching out to? It's the National Commitment to Diversity and Inclusion. Well, Holly can talk more about that. I, I'd just like to get back to your question about hate. Good. Because I think it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Some people think you've got to be taught to hate. Rodgers and Hammerstein. Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> we could sing. Yeah. Um, um, I think it's. I think both love and hate are in us. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an old an, an old grandmother's tale about the grandmother is sitting with the, with the little grandchild and telling a story about. Two wolves, two wolves, you know, howling at the door. One is the wolf of love and one is the wolf of hate, and they're fighting. And the, the little kid says, well, which one's going to win? Mm-hmm. And the grandma says, the one we feed. Mm-hmm. So the way we look at it is we've, as we've, we've both got those neurons or germs or, yeah. or whatever we'll probably understand someday. And, and I think it's really about what we feed and what we don't feed. So I, I hear your point that 
that everything that we're discussing is not literally hate pushed mm-hmm. to you know all the way, but some of it is. I mean, we're we're living as we know in a time when hate gangs are rising. And a year ago, when our hatebreaker hero of last year was here, Sammy Rangel, mm-hmm. who runs an organization called Life After Hate, and they actually help people who are in these gangs, in these hate white supremacist gangs, to get out and, and find lives for themselves. And I just wanted to update you. What are they doing this year? They're using artificial intelligence to track these hate tweets on on Twitter and then to write to these people and help them move forward. This, this is quite an atmosphere we're living in today because of the divisions in the country and, and the, the polarization. And Holly, as Susan mentioned, the, the social media is just giving a platform to anybody who's out there with some sort of crazy agenda. Yes, it's true. And um, I think that even when you think you are in control of your own social media and you know who your friends are and you know who you're following, and um, you can get really easily pulled into um, this sort of very uh, vitriolic, hate-filled spiral. Um, and I, you know, we see it. We see it all the time. And I think that for the workplace, it can then become an additional issue because you know companies have um, social media policies, um, but people will post stuff, you know, on their Facebook, mm-hmm. then they'll say things. So it does feed into that. But I think it can be a force for good, too. I think it can be an opportunity. Um, I think that uh, there are people at, at it, using social media to make connections and share, sort of feed the, the wolf that is the wolf mm-hmm. of love, if you will. Um, but it's, there's always going to be that tension. We're never going to come to a moment where we said, we did it, we've eradicated it. <laughs> you know, it's about it's about being conscious and intentional within your workplace or your organization as an employer. And we as journalists, um, we want to keep an eye on it and, and hold companies you know, accountable if, if we feel like um, this is not happening. Yeah, when it, when it comes to social media, this is really a time to put a lot of emphasis on media literacy. We talk about it a lot on this program, but people do have to learn how to uh, how to forge through some of this material that comes at them and determine what is uh, correct and what is not. You know, Susan, you mentioned you've got to be taught to hate uh, a moment or two ago. Uh, I'll never forget a piece I saw in 60 Minutes, probably 25 years ago, in which a neo-Nazi was being interviewed at home, and he brought in his children, ages four and five, wearing Nazi uniforms with swastikas on their arms. And I've often wondered, where are those kids today? And have they ever been able to overcome what they're exposed to as, uh, as youngsters? Scary. Sure. And we call that hitting the brakes on hate. Yeah. I mean, that's why we use that in our name. And we find those people and, and we celebrate them because you're right. We don't hear about them usually. I mean, the, new, the 60 Minutes piece is that visual yeah. little kids with swastikas story. I'd love to, let's find those kids and find out what would, they're doing. That would be interesting. I have no idea where they are, but I'll bet you YouTube or Google or something somehow would, they're again using, using the media and the technology to, uh, to uh, learn something useful perhaps. Okay, Holly, what can employers do and what can employees do to kind of uh, tamp down some of this 
stuff that's going on in the workplace or in, in the apartment building? Well, you know, from a lot of the news coverage that I've seen and also stuff that things that we've done, uh, experts that we've talked to in our coverage, it seems like that the idea of being proactive is better than being reactive. And I think that makes sense in a lot of ways. But what does that look like? Does it look like bringing in a group um, from outside to work with your HR? Does it look like tapping into um, an online seminar, webinar? But it it needs to be a proactive thing. And it needs to be something that um, is not uh, made to seem like a punishment. uh, Because when you do these um, sort of diversity trainings or bias trainings after something has happened, one of our experts has said it can seem punitive. And therefore, people have their hackles up already before you even get into it. So I think companies um, that do proactive work that also collaborate and share ideas across enterprises. So that's one of the other things that this group of CEOs is doing, saying, this is what works for us. You can try this. Um, the Starbucks example was really interesting because they did something pretty radical. And you could say, well, it was probably a public relations p- uh, pl- ploy, but it was it was pretty radical. If you think about a company losing a ton of money in a, in a day to stop down so that they could talk to their employees about something really serious. Yeah. so. I do think that whether you're a publicly facing service, a public uh, consumer-based service, or you have more internal needs in terms of that, what I've seen in coverage that's been done, and um, the effective part is doing it before there's a problem. Yeah, Susan, you wanted to say. Yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that one of our other panelists, powerhouse panel, is um, Kimberly Norwood, mm-hmm. who's a professor of bias and the law, and she was also part of the design of how Starbucks took that day for its employees. She was consulted on on what would be helpful, and we'll learn from her tonight. I always thought, in my own opinion, watching that, that Starbucks really took a chance there because to a large degree, that backfired on them. A lot of people said, oh, as Holly indicated, that is just a stunt. They're just doing this to kind of weasel themselves out of a bad situation. But but they had to do something, and I think yeah. what they did was pretty bold. Um, and I, I will, full disclosure, I do drink Starbucks coffee. <laughs> uh, but I do think that things like that do mean something. And when we had the, instru- the incident with Nordstrom Rack here with the three young men who were treated uh, badly there, their CEO came here to meet with them. And again, I think that does show something. Um, other companies are content with an apology and, and see you later. But so but it's it's about... I think social media helps, in a sense, to surface some of these issues so that they don't go hidden. Yeah. We only have 30 seconds left. Susan, very quickly, what's happening tonight at uh, the the History Museum? Very quickly. We're having a powerhouse panel made up of Holly and Kimberly Norwood, Sharon Harvey Davis, who's a prize-winning diversity vice president at Ameren, Kellen Hill, who's the young man I just mentioned, and Nancy Litz, who's an entrepreneur and vice president at NCJW of Diversity. All right. Well, anybody's invited? Anybody who wants to show up? Doors okay. open at? 6.30. <laughs> All right. Thank you both so much. Uh, Thanks, Tom. Holly Edgel, thank you. Good to see you on the other side of the uh, studio, if you will, on the other side of the room. Susan Ball, great to see you again. Oh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.